This is Software Defined Survival, where we explore how software-defined systems are changing the business of AVIT. Today on Software Defined Survival. Most of the most business owners are not classically trained in, in business. They are they're technical experts. When you're running a business, it's very lonely. Uh, you really don't, your network of who you trust is uh, somewhat limited. The IT chief information officer, uh, those are the few, the people that are going to be making uh, decisions about AV in the future. If, if, the, if the business traditionally is, is, is going away from the traditional sort of selling boxes and, and a transaction to a service model, why, would, why shouldn't we just jump in front of that and anticipate it? Here's, here's the magic solution for that growth. Fearless leader that would test different things and throw them away really fast. This is Patrick Murray. Just a quick word about our first sponsor before we get started. Now, all of the sponsors for this podcast will be products and services that I've personally used and believe in. And executive coach Dave Shanebeck was recommended to me by a longtime colleague who has been working with Coach Dave for many years. And after the initial consultation, I learned quite a bit about my strengths and weaknesses that I may have been somewhat aware of, but never really saw in black and white and never realized or even explored how they affect the decisions I make and ultimately how I run my business. We've had a few coaching sessions since then. And while I can't report that I've seen an immediate impact on the success of my company, nothing happens overnight, but my plans and and daily activities are a lot more structured. And that alone takes a lot of the stress out of deciding on what to do next. And there's really just a kind of a comfort and confidence in following a plan that was put together with the help of someone who's been through the process of growing many companies. So if you're interested in bringing your business game to the next level, I definitely recommend booking a free consultation session with Coach Dave. Just go to his website at daveshanebeck.com. That's Dave, D-A-V-E, Shane Beck, S-C-H-O-E-N-B-E-C-K.com. One more time, D-A-V-E, S-C-H-O-E-N-B-E-C-K.com. There's also a lot of great information on running a business on his blog, a lot of great free information. So go ahead and check that out, DaveShaneBeck.com. Hello, my name is Patrick Murray. Welcome to Software Defined Survival. Today's guest has a long history in managing and operating retail stores like Toys R Us and is one of the founders of Babies R Us, where he served as senior VP of operations for 10 years. So what does that have to do with software, you may ask? Well, for more than a decade, he's been helping business owners in AV and beyond reach their goals as an executive coach. When I started this podcast, I did not realize how much shifting to software-defined systems affects the business model. But the words as a service keep coming up. So I'm really excited to learn a lot today from Dave Schoenbeck. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to join you guys. Did I say your last name right? I have a hard time saying it without the German accent. Well, that's actually the correct way to say it, but nobody in the U.S. can say it that way. So uh, I pronounce it Schoenbeck because it's easier for Americans. 
Wow, that's fascinating. Shame. Yeah. I, I, I never would have came up with that one. Yeah. Is there anything about that introduction that you'd like to correct or expand upon? No, it's perfect. Thanks for writing it. That was pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, the big secret is uh, just look at your LinkedIn profile and copy and paste. <laughs> that works too. So could you tell us a little bit about your first contact with the AV industry and how you kind of got introduced to AV? Uh, sure. I uh, started working with a, uh, a control programming com- company, a custom programming company. And uh, we're, we're having great success uh, with, uh, with that firm. And he introduced me to a systems integrator, a local system integrator in the northeast of the U.S. And I worked with uh, the two of them for a while. And then they introduced me to an audiovisual labor installation and commissioning business. Uh, so it was a little triad of... Uh, audiovisual uh, businesses. So I found that to be really fascinating. I thought it was going to be the, the coach of the AV industry and, uh, and had a lot of fun uh, working with these companies. And uh, I still work with two out of those three. So I learned more and more about the industry as every week goes on. Interesting. So is there any commonalities? Are there any things that uh, you could kind of pick out out of that kind of sets us apart in general. I mean, you, you worked with a programmer, a systems integrator, a freelance installer. Those are really kind of different tasks. But in general, is there anything you could say about you know AV? Well, I think the 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 common thread between all three of them is just the incredible amount of consolidation and change that is happening in the industry, where where you know the uh, the system integrators. There's certainly a huge consolidation and a movement away from selling boxes to selling more software as a service, having a different mentality. So that, that permeates all three, three businesses. And uh, certainly uh, this consolidation is very typical of, of a lot of industries. If you think back to my, my career, my early career working in retail, um, you know, there's, there was hundreds of grocery chains and drugstore chains and discounters that were, you know, morphed into just a handful. Uh, now, and that, that took place over 20 years uh, in, a, in a considerable way. So now, you know, see the same thing in the, in the AV industry. So having gone through that, what kind of opportunities in hindsight may have been available, if any? I think it's a, sh- a shift of thinking, you know, and I, when I think back to earlier consolidations or, or major changes in marketplaces, it's really about, uh, seeing over the horizon and being a little more strategic in your viewpoint, not tied to old ways, uh, having your feet firmly set in cottage cheese instead of being rock solid on, on what you believe to be true because things have changed in, in many industries. So to be aware of that, to hire and develop different sorts of thinkers I think would be uh, would be a, a great advice for for the audiovisual industry. If you continue to hire people that are just like yourself, and your industry is changing, you are going to get caught flat-footed without the kind of thinker uh, that you're going to need in the future. So, I'm on board with that. <laughs> We've spoke a few times, and you know that I'm all game for trying out new things, but. There's also a bit of risk involved with that. Uh, do you have any advice for managing that kind of risk when you're 
so that you don't shoot too far beyond the horizon and, and just wind up waiting for the future to come. Yeah, hire a coach, <laughs> get an advisor, find a mentor, find somebody in, in your industry that's willing to help, that, that, that can help you with, with that. Because we all lose our perspective about how far the goal line is and, and uh, what's acceptable stress levels, what, all those things. We just, you can't hardly do it yourself. And you get, you get, all of us need to get rid of every, every uh, business owner needs to get rid of that head trash that we all are born with that limbic brain sort of fear that, uh, that what I'm doing isn't going to work because we need to fight through that. And, and generally entrepreneurs are like that. They're incredibly tenacious and, and uh, resilient and, and fearless, but we all have our moments where we doubt what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. Now that you say that, um, even starting a podcast could be a good way to just co co collaborate with other people, get your ideas out there, make sure you're thinking clearly and exactly. get influenced by, by your colleagues. Yeah. Mastermind groups are a good one. Uh, a good idea too. If you have those locally that are in your industry or in, in, uh, you know, in tech, so to speak, could be a lot of different uh, versions of tech businesses, but a mastermind group would really be helpful for, for leaders to just get a different perspective, think about things differently. Read outside of, uh, of what you're comfortable with. Uh, collect uh, information in a, in a different way. Uh, there's so many uh, aggregating uh, uh, websites now that you can bring information to, to your, uh, your laptop, desktop, phone uh, that has different ideas. For example, I, 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 uh, I use one called Flipboard. And many, many of you probably have heard of it, but I, I keep Flipboard for just entrepreneurship, small business, uh, marketing ideas. So that sends me articles you know, every day uh, and with different viewpoints. And some of it is, is BS and is useless, and, but some of it is like, wow, I never thought about it that way. So the advice is that we all, we all continue to grow and develop ourselves and listen to different viewpoints and different ideas. Good stuff. So uh, a few minutes ago, you mentioned um, how there's a lot of change going on. Consolidation, I think, is clear. It's really obvious the, the bigger companies are getting bigger and the little companies are getting less. But um, you also mentioned change in the business model and moving to an as-a-service model. And that has come up quite a bit on this show. Software just lends itself to that as-a-service model because you don't do it once and you're done. You don't just build the system and run away. There, you know, things change. Software needs to get updated and grow. So do you have any advice on, on how to make this shift from maybe a margin-based, hardware-based type of uh, business model to more as a service? Well, I think it's going to be done for us, Patrick, because it's shifting so quickly. If you look at the new upstarts at, at, uh, at you know, your, your, your national conferences and what the, what the manufacturers are putting out, it's, there's, a, there's a groundswell of, of additional service providers and less reliance on the traditional selling boxes. And uh, so I think, I think all of us that are involved in the industry are going to be forced to, to open our eyes and see that this is, a, this is a major shift and that we need to not deny it, but to embrace it and figure out where, 
where our piece of that might be. When you say it'll be done for us, you mean that customers will start asking for it because because AV isn't always on the radar. Like something in IT, uh, a service level, level agreement is kind of a common thing. Managed services are kind of a common thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just really not that common in AV yet, maybe in larger enterprises. So if you wanted to kind of catalyze that a bit and, uh, and do it in your niche AV space, how would you go about doing that? Well, you gotta, you got to think about who's going to be making the decisions. If it's prevalent in the IT industry, the IT chief information officer, uh, th- those are the, few, the people that are going to be making uh, decisions about AV in the future. Okay. So, so really, if they if they have a, have a uh, are used to service level agreements in in their current industry, why why wouldn't they demand that to be similar in, in any AV rollout? If if the if the business traditionally is is or is going for, away from the traditional sort of selling boxes and and a transaction to a service model, why would why shouldn't we just jump in front of that and then anticipate it? Um, are there any common mistakes that you see uh, business owners make? Oh, there's tons of them. Yeah. I don't know if you could pick like, the worst ones. Uh, common mistakes. Uh, I think one is that I think I can do it myself. I think that's that's a big one. We've touched on that a little bit. Uh, other common mistakes business owners make is uh, not spending enough time understanding the financials of their business. Okay. You know, we run it too much out of, uh, out, of, out of the checkbook and cash flow instead of the fundamentals, balance sheet, understanding, P&L, budgets, um, metrics. That, that's, uh, that's a huge issue for, for most smaller businesses, for sure. And how do you get better at that? Uh, you, get, you find yourself a mentor that can, that can help you with that, whether it's a, your accountant or a coach or, or take a class. It's not that hard to understand, but most of the most business owners are not classically trained in in business. They are they're technical experts. They are really really good at at, at the product and service that they deliver, but maybe not necessarily have the experience that they need. So you need you need some outside help, trusted CPA. Okay, see rule number one. All right, don't do it yourself. <laughs> don't do it yourself. Yeah. Um, the. Uh, the other common mistake is that we hire for the most inexpensive person that we can find that might, that could possibly get the job done instead of doing investment spending into higher, uh, higher, better talent. Investment spending. Yeah. So you got to think about this as buying by like buying a machine. You're buying, you're buying your, your biggest asset, which is a, a, up and coming high performance individual. So we have a tendency to admit to, to buy on the cheap early on or, or even past early on. I understand, I can understand early on better than, than two or three years into a, into a business. And I really learned my lesson on that from uh, the whole babies or us experience that, that the folks that were loyal and great in the beginning were not necessarily the people that had the horsepower to handle it as it got bigger. And, um, and it took me a while to really see that and understand it because it's an emotional decision. 
Why, mm-hmm. why don't these loyal people perform like they used to? Because it's more complex and it's more difficult and there's bigger decisions and, and it's that strategic viewpoint. Again, the, the best, the best people you want to hire are folks that can see that strategy. They might not have to work in it all the time, but they can see where they're going. That and they're great communicators. Yeah, that's, that's a, really an interesting point that how a company can change as it grows. I think that's a real challenge to, uh, to have the same team when you're a group of yeah, less than 10 people and then you grow yeah. to a couple dozen. It's fundamentally that, yeah, a different beast. Yeah, when we started Babies Rush, there was three of us wow. from working on the original idea. And at the end, there was, there was 10,000 people that reported to me. So you don't think that got more complex? <laughs> I, I have 13 direct reports, four, four uh, uh, vice presidents and a bunch of directors. And uh, the complexity of just managing them, and they're very talented people, is completely different from what I did in the early days. So roles changed for me, and my viewpoint had to change. And that's what happens with people that I worked with, that some of those people just couldn't grow to that capacity. Right. So I'm still waiting for those problems. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We'll, we'll get you there, brother. <laughs> So um, do you have any stories of uh, anybody in AV or any other industry of somebody who just made a, a good turnaround that was kind of stuck with something, had a problem that they just couldn't get through and, um, and really turned it around? Yeah, I have, have uh, one, one of my clients in the industry is when I first started work, working with this guy, he was, he was out on his own. He had a part-time bookkeeper and himself. And uh, that business through grew from that to, you know, a fairly significant company of, I guess, uh, I don't, probably don't want to say the sales volume, but the, the staff is now about 70 people. So, and it's a highly profitable business. So here's, here's the magic solution for that growth. Fearless leader that would test different things and throw them away really fast if they didn't work. He'd invest and, and give it time to, to percolate and grow. But if it didn't work, boom, gone, we're gonna move on to something else. So tirelessly creative at in, uh, trying different things. And, and that is really, really very impressive to me. Just because you don't see that that often. Just true entrepreneurial heart. So that business exploded on him. He was daring, um, aggressive, and, and fearless, fearlessly creative. Were there any um, practical things, any exercises or practices that, that you noticed in, in what he was doing or what that company did that may have uh, attributed to that yeah, I guess it just sounds like courage, just having the courage to try things out and, and see if they work out. You know, I, I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I think where I helped this individual was was having bounce, being able to bounce ideas off of it. And, and because we all get, when you're running a business, it's very lonely. Uh, you really don't, your network of who you trust is uh, somewhat limited. So as a coach, I provide that uh, that discussion 
So I'm going to be, I'm going to listen to what you say. I'm going to help you um, shape that idea, think about it a little differently. So the end result and the success that he had was incredible amount of focus because we, we kept clarifying what we were trying to do. Bring it back to what, what the original idea was. was are, are we methodical about this? Um, so some accountability, but some direction and, and uh, um, discourse about, about strategies. I think that was how I added value there. Interesting. I'm just taking notes here. <laughs> so as he was going through this process, it must have been a different thing when the company was smaller. So trying, testing out different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's an investment of time, probably capital as well. And uh, that needs to come from somewhere. Was there kind of like a base uh, business that he had that allowed him to try out these different things? Or Yes. So, so there were a few things that worked out well early yeah. on. Yeah, he under, understood his costs very well and his margin requirements, which is also another weakness in most businesses, the idea of understanding the gross margins and overhead, um, which I guess ties back to my earlier comment about understanding your financials. But there, there is a definite weakness in most small businesses about understanding gross margin and how to use that, how to price and, and he had an extremely strong acumen when it came to that. So he knew where every nickel was. He knew what his costs were and what he needed to make. So there was an underpinning of profitability to allow him to grow. There was, you know, he, he grew in margin as time went on, but he had a solid margin to begin with. Excellent. That, that's kind of exactly what I was looking for because we could talk about courage and, and, and uh, creativity and innovation, but in the end, it does come down to very practical things and uh, understanding the financials of the company seems to be what, gives, what could give you that confidence to take those chances because if you don't know if it'll work out or then you can plan on it and, and know what things will look, out, look like on the other side regardless of what happens. Right, right. I think a service mentality too is really important in, for all small businesses to be really focused on, on your client satisfaction. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of us, we view it as if we don't hear any complaints, everything's cool. And, and that is probably not the, the right way to do it. We need to do more surveying. We need to be asking the right questions. We need to be close to those decision makers so we understand how to fix things early on. So a weakness in, in most businesses, certainly a strength in this individual's uh, um, uh, character and, and viewpoint. And you mentioned customer surveys. What would that look like on a practical level? Just uh, but, uh, well, One of the smartest decisions I ever made in, when the baby's arrest days is that I tied the compensation of all the store managers to, to guest satisfaction. So we did surveys and then rolled up a number. It was a scorecard, and, and they had – once we had a baseline, then we knew what, what they, where they were at in that store and that, that clientele. And then we'd give them a little lift. This is what you need to do. You need to get, get it to this level and you get, you make money, you make your bonus money. So, so that can be done in any business, maybe not to that extent, but it could be, you have to measure it first. So, um, you know, there's survey monkey. There's a lot of different tools that you can use that electronically probes your clients to get, you know, three or four questions and you get a baseline on how you're doing. 
types of jobs that don't work so well, where we get markdowns, it identifies process uh, breaks and weaknesses. Um, you understand very clearly uh, what customers like you and which ones don't. And, and it is a lot easier for a client to, to give you a markdown on paper or an electronic survey than it is to do it to your face. So when we're listening and, and we're not hearing any sort of problems, we get, in, we get dulled into uh, thinking that, that everything's cool. But then if you look at what, how they really feel in a, in, a, in a return electronic digital survey, whoa, we didn't do so well. What's that all about? Yeah, great stuff. So that's kind of like at the end of every Skype call, you get asked uh, to rate this. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The trick is to not make it too long. And every, we all want to collect way too much information and make them too long. We've all had surveys, you know, that go on for 40 minutes. And you really, I think most customers, most clients want to help businesses. They want to help shape. They want to have influence, but just don't bore them to death, you know. So what is the most important metric? Customer delight. Just, were you happy? Those five stars are really all you yeah. need to know. Yeah. yeah. I think there could be some opportunity there for uh, the AV industry to, to build in a little feedback loop, just like the Skype call, right? Have those five stars whenever somebody shuts down a system. Yeah. Why not? So um, if anybody would like to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Uh, you can, uh, you can, uh, contact me at, uh, uh dave So my email is dave at dave Really hard to remember. Um, that's probably the easiest way. I have a contact form on my website. If you want ever, any, ever need any help, uh, just click on that. And I offer one hour complimentary coaching sessions for anybody that's interested. If you have a problem, then, uh, let's, let's schedule a time and we'll, uh, we'll talk about it. Excellent. Dave, thanks a lot for the talk today. My pleasure, Patrick. Thanks for listening to Software Defined Survival. I hope you found it useful and maybe it inspires you to try out something new this week. If you have any questions, go to softwaredefinedsurvival.com and click the appropriate button. I'd love to answer your questions on the air. And if you'd like to help spread the word, please subscribe, comment, and share it with your friends. Thanks. Thanks.